I'm Ben Davies, and this is The Clear Money Mindset. The estate plan has to provide for incapacity. What are we going to do if somebody becomes incapable, not just if they die? Um, How are we going to plan for taxes between now and death? And what are the tax consequences after death? A will doesn't care about taxes. Welcome to the Clear Money Mindset, providing you with help and tips to manage your money in a clear and intentional way. I'm your host and financial advisor, Ben Davies. At Davies Financial Sterling Mutuals, we wanna provide you with meaningful tips to help you with your money. Well, there's a lot of confusion around wills and estate planning. Face it, no one likes to spend much time thinking about no longer being here. And what would happen to your loved ones and the things that you've worked hard for all of your life if you were gone? So maybe you went online and got a simple will, or you even have a lawyer draft something up. Is that all there is to consider? That's the question that we're going to delve into today. We're talking about the difference between a will and an estate plan. Joining us for this conversation is Ashley Harmon, a lawyer and partner with Hogarth, Hermston and Severs. Ashley specializes in estate planning, and today she's going to walk us through the important differences between having a will and having an estate plan. Today we're going to be walking through the differences between a will an estate plan. Yes, uh, if you're if you're wondering, there there is a difference, and oftentimes that gets confused. Uh, so today, joining us to help us walk through this is Ashley Harmon. She's a lawyer and partner at Hogarth, Hermston and Severs. Uh, Ashley, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. This this is, I think, your third time on the podcast. It so might be. You're becoming a regular here. Yeah. So this is actually a department that you really specialize in as a lawyer, uh, which is a lot of a lot of people think, or we have this conception that um, a lawyer is just going to automatically know everything there is to know about law. So as long as they are a lawyer, then I could go there for all of my complex needs, whatever they are. But you specialize in estate planning. And um, I think you're going to be a great person to talk to about what the difference is. So let's start out with that. Um, Will and an estate plan, what would you say is the fundamental difference between the two? And why would it be important for someone who's planning for the future to understand the difference? That's a great question. I have so much to say that I almost don't know where to start. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, everybody has an estate plan, whether they know it or not. An estate plan is kind of what have you set up in place so that when you pass away, you know, what's going to happen. Yep. And a will is just a piece of paper. And the will says, after I die, here's what you should do with my estate. And it provides some instructions. Um, but the actual estate plan comprises of so many different things. It's kind of like a set of dominoes that gets triggered either during your life while you're still alive yep. um, or after you die. And so I don't really just offer wills as a service. I really just offer estate plans 
And sometimes the estate plan just requires a will. And sometimes it requires way, way more. So my initial appointment with a client, I call it an estate planning strategy session. And during that strategy session, I have to find out a lot about my client and they may think I'm being nosy, but I need to know what assets they have, how they hold them. Meaning, do you own it in your own name or do you own it jointly or is it already in a trust? I need to know if they have businesses, if they own assets in their business name. I need to know what kind of investments they have registered and non-registered, if they have beneficiary designations on their registered and non-registered investments, if they have life insurance policies, um, and what their goals are. And then I sit down and I kind of break it down for them. Like, listen, if you died right now, this is roughly what would happen. And people are often shocked by what I tell them. A lot of their assets will often flow outside of the estate and not go through their will. So they make a will to say, you know, give everything to Susie, but they co-own everything jointly with Joe and maybe he's going to automatically get a lot of that stuff. And they didn't really think that through. Right. And Susie may get nothing, even though her name is in the will. And so I really model out what is the circumstances you're in and what's it going to look like when you pass away. And then the estate plan involves structuring everything and kind of controlling all of the factors so that what you actually want to happen when you die does in fact happen. Yeah. And it's almost like, um, I don't know, your estate is almost the person who takes your place when you're gone. Yeah. And exactly. They have, uh, they, um, and whoever you have running your, your estate is going to be the they, um, but there's, there's all of this stuff you own, what, like you're saying, whether you include it in a will or not, there's all of the tax con- consequences for all of this stuff that you own, whether you thought about that or not. And then there's all of the people involved that know you, and now they have to deal with the person if you will, who's replaced you called your estate, the estate plan. I look at almost like the retirement planning that we do now. It's the stuff that we do while we're alive to make sure that, um, tax is efficient, is efficient. We have the money we need if, uh, when, if, and when we need it and the things we want to do and accomplish while we're alive happen. So we etch that out. Well, I think, would it be fair to say like an estate plan would be that blueprint and maybe the will helps enact some of that, but, there's a lot more to the scope of your estate than just your will. Yes, definitely. Your estate plan is way more than your will. And it starts way earlier than just coming in and doing a will before you pass away. Like you're, yeah. like you said, your estate plan is how you structure everything. Um, so getting in when you're younger and setting stuff up the way that it works for tax purposes for the rest of your life. And then will also work when you're gone is part of the estate plan. So it's more of a blueprint for your assets and how you're going to hold them and how you're going to structure them for tax purposes and for um, succession purposes. And it's also succession planning for businesses, whether you have a kid, you want to take over your business one day, or you want your husband or wife to take over your business, or you want to sell your business one day, all of those things matter when you're making your estate plan, because your estate plan will look different depending on what your plans are. Yeah. And, um, we're, we're going to mention this and bring this up at some point. So I might as well bring it up now an estate plan. Uh, we were talking this before we hit record. It really should involve a few key professionals that you trust 
whoever they are, but the, the, those three at a minimum should be there. And that would be an accountant um, who's experienced in whatever realm you're in. So that's, that's important. So if, if you're just, you know, the simple family with a family cottage, well, then maybe your needs are different. If you have a, if you're incorporated, you have a large company to pass on or something like that, just to give an example, the professional you're using on the accountant side of things needs to match that. Um, so accountant, you need a lawyer and a financial advisor, and really, um, they need to all be willing to work together because each has a component that's different. Um, each might have an idea of how to enact something that's slightly different than the other, but they actually, they need to be on the same page so that they're not actually working against, um, each other, if that makes sense. So have the three. So how would you say then, Ashley, an estate plan goes beyond the scope of a regular will? You've touched on it a little bit. Well, a lot of ways. The estate plan has to provide for incapacity. What are we going to do if somebody becomes incapable, not just if they die? Um, how are we going to plan for taxes between now and death? And yep. what are the tax consequences after death? A will doesn't care about taxes. A will is just says, this is my executor and this is my beneficiary. It doesn't consider taxes. It could be, you know, a really bad tax distribution of your estate. An estate plan is the culmination of all the advice and putting that advice into effect. So I discuss with my clients if they say, you know, I'm not sure if I want to leave this asset to my wife or leave this asset to my kids. I want to provide for both of them. We could look at their assets and say, well, you know, this particular asset, you know, has a great tax benefit if you leave it to your wife. So why not provide for her with this asset and then provide for the kids with another asset that's maybe after tax dollars or something right. like that. So actually, we often shift like the client and I will strategize together and then we'll bring in financial advisor and accountant, depending on the team that the client wants involved. And it's a strategy. And that strategy can contain a number of action steps that need to be taken. One action step would be a will. Another action step is powers of attorney. But in some cases, a trust may be an action step that's needed. Um, and a trust is basically a will substitute. And people love to talk about trusts and they're very, uh, they're very much used in this United States and we're yep. a border city. So we yep. hear about them a lot. Uh, they're not used as often in Canada for a number of tax reasons, but there are many estates I've planned where a trust was appropriate, either an alter ego trust or a family trust. There are alter types ego of, trust yeah. sounds exciting. <laughs> I don't know. Alter ego trusts are exciting. I like them. So, um, so that an alter ego trust could be part of an estate plan. I'm not going to dish out alter ego trust for every client that walks in the door. I can't. It's not even it's a very uh, particular group of people that qualify to make one and that would be, have an advantage to making one. But it's important to know when that strategy can be very useful. There's no one size fits all estate plan. Every estate plan is going to be very different depending on the person's needs. And I think what may discourage some from going out and doing something like this is they say, well, that sounds great and expensive all at the same time. Um, getting three professionals together, everyone has to get paid for the work that they're doing. Um, I'll just get a simple will and be done with it. But 
I think that just comes from the mindset of not having an understanding of how much tax costs later. And if you paid a few thousand dollars, I'm give or take. So don't take this anyone listening as this is what it's going to cost you to get an estate plan. I'm just throwing that number mm-hmm. out to, to say, to, to put something there. Um, but you could easily, easily cost your estate 10, 20 or more thousand dollars and just poor tax planning along the way. Um, the other thing I like about what you're saying is if I start doing this when I'm younger, um, tax laws might change. Some of the laws might change, but the strategy is there. The professionals I'm working with know it and can probably pivot to make sure my wishes get taken care of in whatever the new structure looks like, as opposed to leaving it for, for later. So what would you say are some like big components that uh, are typically in an estate plan that again, go beyond the scope of a will, but maybe some, I know, I know it's so vast, but maybe pick a few really common things that you see in your practice that um, become part of an estate plan um, that people might not be thinking about. Absolutely. So definitely powers of attorney should be part of an estate plan. And that will say who's able to make your decisions for you if you become incapable, your yep. health decisions and your financial decisions. A will is usually part of 99.99% of estate plans. Even if we've um, used other vehicles to transport the property to the beneficiary after death, having a backup will in place even if we don't need it, is usually helpful. Um, So a will is normally part of an estate plan. Beneficiary designations on registered accounts are definitely a massive part of an estate plan. And often because many of my clients have most of their assets held in registered accounts, so TFSAs and RRSPs, that part of their estate plan is huge because a lot of their the assets that are in those registered accounts don't come through the will and they don't go to right. the estate at all. They go straight to the beneficiaries. And so a lot of people have these conversations about who their beneficiaries should be with their financial advisor. They're having an estate planning meeting when they have that discussion, but they don't know it. And sometimes right. what they've done in that meeting doesn't agree with what they tell me that their estate plan is for their will. And I have to identify that. So going through that, that, that's a big part of an estate plan. Jointly held property. When people own real estate jointly with another person with a right of survivorship on title, that real estate, again, doesn't go to the will, doesn't go through the estate, goes straight to the other, other person. Yep. Just because you're giving something straight to another person doesn't also mean you're avoiding tax. There's right. a deemed disposition on death of all of your assets. And so... If you don't have a rollover available to you and you're giving uh, assets directly to somebody and leaving nothing in your estate to pay this huge tax bill that's coming, that's probably the most common mistake I see is that, you know, the tax planning was done when the person decided who to put their name of their house in and uh, who to put as a beneficiary on their accounts. And then there was nothing left in their estate. So they come to me to do the will, but it's like, You've already done your estate plan without a lawyer present, without considering the tax consequences. So title on real estate, beneficiary designations, those are part of an estate plan. Life insurance is part of an estate plan. I obviously don't sell life insurance. I'm a lawyer, but I sit down with all my clients and I go through the strategy for life insurance. It can be used in ways that make 
their estate plan flow so beautifully and make things so easy for their kids when they pass away. Um, it's, it can be like an amazing tool and there's so many different life insurance products that can be used in so many different ways to just prevent litigation, make sure minors are taken care of, make sure there's liquidity to pay taxes. Um, so many great things can be done with life insurance. And often I find it's very cheap for my clients. Um, like it's not an expensive investment for them for what they get on the other side. Um, and then, you know, talking about businesses, if someone has a business, then there's a whole estate plan we have to do for that business as well. Um, and so we'll often do a separate will for the corporate shares that that person owns to keep those corporate shares outside of probate. And so there's documents involved in that. And so I would say in terms of document wise, those are the most important documents that we draw up or discuss or change when we're making the estate plan. Yeah, that's So those are, those are a lot of components. Um, yeah. On the, there's two things I wanted to to just expand on a bit. Um, the beneficiary designation on registered accounts or even on, I guess it would be non-principal residence property, um, like you have a rental property or a cottage. Um, the RSP side, we've seen that before where the beneficiary is outside or the beneficiaries designated on the RSP isn't the spouse or maybe the spouse passes away at the same time, that money leaves not enough taxes withheld and the estate owes more, but it doesn't have the money to pay the tax and the estate can't go back to the beneficiary and demand Jack squat because a beneficiary is a beneficiary. You can't take that back. So a lot of times people think, and we see it all the time, there's a mentality out there that says, well, if I can just put somebody on it, then the government won't get it. And then I don't have to pay probate. I don't have to worry about it on the will. And that's not true. And you can really put your executors, you can put them in a really tough spot because they got to come up with the money to figure out how to fund the, the tax bill. Um, and then the other one's the pro- the property side of things where um, people think I own a piece of farmland or I own a cottage, I'm just going to give it to the kids. That really needs to be a conversation with a lawyer um, to discuss part of the, um, how you're going to get rid of that and give it to the kids without them having to sell it because of the tax consequences. We actually had that. um, My grandparents had cottages in Muskoka, but there's no tax planning done. And they bought them like, eons ago so when they passed away years ago no one in the family obviously muskoka no, who knew right who knew how expensive it was going to get there mm-hmm. nobody could keep them so yeah you have these family cottages that that mom and dad worked hard to get and none of the kids can hold on to them because the tax bills there so those are that's me agreeing with you that those are huge huge things so um what would you say then um, would be some specific, you brought a couple of these up, but if I'm looking at my overall situation, um, what should be some key indicators for me or some key circumstances to say, okay, I need to not just rely on a simple will. I need to sit down with a few professionals and get an estate plan done so that we're doing this right. I think the first thing to do is meet with a lawyer and have them make that 
explanation to you for your own individual circumstances, because people don't know what they don't know, right? Half of the people that sit in front of me didn't know that there was going to be tax on their second property. They own a property for their mom that she lives in that they just put in their own name or they own a rental property or something. And they had never considered that that would be taxed when they die. People don't know about the deemed disposition. Um, I'm not chat about that. So uh, deemed disposition, I buy a home for a hundred or let's say rental property because we got to keep it taxable. Uh, I buy a rental property for a hundred thousand. A year later, it's worth two. I sell it. I have a capital gain of a hundred thousand dollars because I've disposed of the property. I've sold it. Um, I think best way to describe deemed disposition would be you didn't sell it, but you were seen to have. Yeah. And you owe the tax anyway. The CRA basically holds an imaginary sale of all your property on the date of your death. And they say, we're going to tax you on the day you died as if you sold all your property at fair market value on that date. And so we're just doing a full disposition of all your property for tax purposes and taxing you on it. And anything that would be applicable to tax if you had sold it is applicable to tax when you pass away, unless there's some sort of exemption or rollover, if you've done some kind of tax planning to avoid that. And it's so unique what what's available to people that we could never give any one size fits all advice on right. how to avoid that kind of tax. It has to be done one-on-one, but people sometimes opt into a tax that they wouldn't have otherwise had. And I'll tell you what planning an estate is not, it is not avoiding probate tax. Like people's number one concern when they come to me is they, you know, went to the bank, talked to somebody at the bank and they have a great estate plan and it totally avoids probate tax. And that's true. The state plans they come to me with often do avoid probate tax, but probate tax is like one and a half percent in Ontario. It's not that high. And I have strategies to legitimately avoid it. And we can talk about that all day long, but just giving your property to somebody and, you know, just to avoid probate tax results in a, the wrong person getting the property. So your whole, you've worked so hard your whole life to build this property up so that you can leave it in trust for your child with a disability or something like that. And you end up totally negating your life's work because you were trying to avoid a one and a half percent tax and everything goes haywire after you pass, or you end up triggering a bunch of tax situations that, that wouldn't have been a problem for you if you hadn't done that just to avoid probate tax, or you end up like you said, giving the assets straight to a beneficiary and leaving your estate deficient of tax and creating a problem. And um, if there were professionals involved in that plan, it can sometimes be a liability to those professionals too, for not noticing that the plan would result in those problems. Yep. And for me, I did, I came from a litigation perspective for years. All I did was court work, going to court on things. Um, and now I do about 30% of my practice is estate planning. Um, 30% of my practice is estate administration, like probates and stuff like that. And then the rest is estate litigation. So I still see every day the stuff that goes wrong. And that keeps me so fresh when I'm planning an estate. I'm kind of moving all the dials to avoid all the legitimate problems that I've been to court for. Yeah, And it's not just family disputes. People just think my family agrees and they're nice family and all the siblings get along. So I don't really need an estate plan. Well, the CRA 
is not going to be very friendly to you necessarily. You should probably sit down and do some planning. Yeah. And it, and because it's so complex and different from each situation, um, the, the reasons for sitting down are very important. So I want to, I want to dig into a couple of things quick. Three things that I think we see the most often would be like the family cottage, the farm property, or the business. Um, cause there's, there's an idea that we're just going to pass it on to the kids or the business is just going to go, or the, or the property is just going to go to the family. And in especially, um, I grew up out near Strathroy where a lot of farmers are renting their land out now. They're not actively farming it, which makes a big difference in the end when it comes to capital gains, how much it was actively farmed, things like that. Um, let's, let's drill into a couple of these things. So first one, family cottage, I own a family cottage. I don't, let's say I do. <laughs> um, how, as opposed to just letting, um, the will take care of it, not planning before, what are some things that knowing every situation is complex, but maybe a few simple things to think about on how building an estate plan around how you're going to transfer that would be helpful and save a lot of taxes. It depends on a lot of things. It depends if you're like, say, for example, you want to leave the the cottage to your kids. It depends if your kids actually want the cottage. Yeah. It depends if you're okay with them selling it or not, if they don't want it, or if you're feeling very controlling about wanting to keep that cottage in the family. Like I have friends who like their great, great grandfather built a cottage like 200 years ago or something like they may feel more strongly about not letting someone sell that cottage. Yeah. Um, so your goals always come into these things as well. So I always start with the goals. We can talk about the taxes later, but there's no point in doing something solely for the purpose of saving taxes if it doesn't actually get the result that you are looking for. Because at the end of the day, it's your legacy. You worked hard to earn this cottage and to pay for this cottage. And you have plans for how to pass that legacy along and who it should go to. Yep. And so first we talk about that. And then we talk about all the strategies to do that. And there are things like write a first refusal to purchase the cottage off the other beneficiaries. And um, there's a lot of different strategies depending on what that person wants. Do they want it to go to their oldest kid, all their kids, in trust for their grandkids, all sorts of stuff. Um, we have to have a conversation about capital gains tax. And that would involve figuring out what their primary residence is worth, what the capital gains would be on that, what the cot like if they picked the cottage as a primary residence, right? Because um, you can only have one primary residence, um, and any other properties that they have, and what those values are, um, and basically just kind of considering the tax and the goals, and then trying to find like a Venn diagram a strategy that makes the best out of the goals and the tax consequences. And I do send people back to talk to their kids about the cottage because often they've never had that conversation. They're having the, yeah, co the conversation with point. me. Yeah. They're saying, Oh, well, I want my two daughters to share the cottage. And I say, do your two daughters want to share the cottage? And they yeah. think, gee, I never asked them. Well, a lot of people hold that close to the chest too and say, well, they'll find out when like we're gone. Yes. And that I, <laughs> We were, again, we were talking about this a little bit before, but I I like to tell people like, don't ask too much of your kids. Like we're all human. So try to set things up in a way that doesn't require them to have a superhuman level of integrity in order to survive. 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah. don't make them make a decision with a bunch of money to be fair with the other kids. Don't, don't do that to them. Um, yeah. you could, you could blow up your family on your way out. So having the conversations ahead of time, um, even though you want to hold your money private, I get that. Or you don't want your kids thinking, oh, there's this money that we're going to get. Um, there are ways to have the conversations where you can at least get an idea of what's going on. Cause you've, you've brought up something that I think is really important. You know, the simple question of what do we do at the family cottage becomes massively complex. Mm-hmm. If everyone wants to keep it, well then maybe the target's simple, but if like Susie wants it, Johnny doesn't, and the other sibling sort of does what you do with that is really important. Or if no one wants it, it, if you made this plan to keep it and you put all of your professionals minds and efforts towards your idea that no one's going to, nobody wants, then you you wasted your time in a sense, or you wasted some money trying to plan for something that wasn't going to pan out that way. But the, the thing that I want to stress for listeners is a simple decision is complex and can be very different. There is no one size fits all for what do we do with the cottage? Exactly. There's no one size fits all. And you can use tools like life insurance with the cottage too. You want to leave it to all of your kids equally and then they can do with it whatever they like, but your estate isn't liquid enough to pay the tax. You could get a life insurance policy to cover off the tax. There's tons of options. It's just a matter of sitting down and coming up with a plan because it's the people that didn't have those conversations or make a plan that end up in a really sticky situation. And that's the other side of my practice, dealing with situations where it becomes a complex administration of the, of the estate. Maybe there's not enough money to fund an education trust for the grandchildren because there's so much tax on the estate that wasn't foreseen by the person who planned it. And uh, so it's about having those conversations and then just having a plan yeah. is better than no plan. So why don't we end off with two things? Uh, first... What are a couple of things, um, a couple of consequences that you've seen in your practice of people who had complex planning and just never did it and and they've passed away? Um, do you have a couple of um, maybe common things you see where it's like, well, this is the negative thing that happened because they just didn't do the planning ahead of time? So many. So many. I don't know where to start. Um, People think like, I really loved your example there of saying, you know, don't leave it all in the hands of one child to make all the right decisions. And that's one of the most common mistakes I see. I see people, I'm going to leave everything to my oldest son because he's a great guy and he's going to take care of everything the way I want him to. And he'll be fair with his siblings. What if son dies in fishing trip with you and dies three days later on life support and inherited your entire estate in the three days he was on life support. And now his estate leaves everything to his disabled child who's entitled to all of both of your estates. And the Ontario children's lawyer is in charge of the estate. How is anybody going to be fair with the remaining siblings at that point? They've been disinherited. And so it's not even about expecting your child to have integrity because that's a conversation that sadly enough, a lot of kids don't actually have the integrity when the parents are gone, but definitely the parents didn't see that one coming. They believe their child would have the integrity. Often that's not the case, 
But even I can never talk a parent into maybe your child won't share this money because they always (laughs) believe the best in their children. Every parent that comes into me, but it's probably, it could be out of their hands. It could be completely out of their hands. Your child gets in, inherits all your money, plans to distribute it to your other siblings, gets in a car accident, is brain damaged. And the public guardian and trustee takes over their assets and is not allowed to gift it to other people once the PGT takes over those assets. So those assets are locked up. Again, you've disinherited your other children unintentionally. And so we do see that kind of stuff. That is, you know, one of the worst strategies. And it's the way it is. Yeah. And so that's a very precarious state of affairs. The other big thing that I see is tax consequences. Like somebody, um, you know, triggered a bunch of tax situations by, for example, I had somebody crying in my office the other day because they had received an RSP as a beneficiary then their, their, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend at the time had like stolen the money from them that they got from oh, this RSP no. and that person's long gone with the money. And now the estate's getting a tax bill, but the estate is not liquid enough to pay the tax. And so the CRA will be coming after her once they realize the estate's not liquid to pay it. Um, so again, just like poor tax planning resulting in the CRA chasing people down. Now I've lost my grandmother and I have the CRA chasing me. What a great year. Like, yeah, and it's really, really ugly for the families when somebody's gone. And in that case, probate would have been a gift. Do you know what I mean? Like huge gift. I'll pay, I'll pay one and a half percent so that I don't have to have any other problems after this. So that's, those are good things to think about. The, that one, see, I find in even in in the financial world, people have a hard time envisioning the worst case scenario. Yes. Um, I tell people all the time, you, you pay me to think of all the problems you could have. Yes. So I'll be the pessimist in the room at trying to figure out how could everything go wrong um, because it does yeah. go wrong. And Maybe it's not for the majority of people, but for the percentage of people that it goes really wrong for, the simplicity of the planning ahead of time would have been massively helpful. A lot of heartache gone, a lot of financial stress gone just from having uh, a better plan ahead of time. Yeah. So um, I don't think you can overstate that because for the people who get into these estate nightmares, it really is a nightmare. Um, Yeah. So... You've described that having somebody in your office in tears, like that's not, you don't want to have the assets and finances be the thing that causes the tears when you pass away. Like, I want my kids to cry about me, not my money. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So um, last question then. So we've established estate planning is important. In a half an hour, it's nearly impossible to cover the scope of all of the things. But I want that to be meaningful for the people hearing it is impossible to cover all of the things in a short conversation because of how complex they are so take that as a gentle warning Mm -hmm. not to have done your estate planning in a half an hour on your own thinking well this is what's going to happen take the time to let somebody who or a team of people who are doing this all the time think of all of the problems you're not because they're going to save you a lot of money but let's say somebody's there, they, they've been thinking about doing some more in-depth estate planning, they know they have estate issues, they know they need an estate plan. Um, what, are, what are the beginning steps that somebody can take to get on their way there? And is it that much work for them 
uh, to start. No, it's not that much work at all. And it's true when you say there's so many things and it's so custom and there's so many things to consider. That's true. But those are things for us to consider as the professionals. And a lot of information lives rent free in our heads every day so that you don't have to cloud up your mind with all of these useless facts that may not apply to your situation. And so I have an intake form that sets out the background for my clients before they come in and do estate planning. But half the time, people don't even do it. And I don't even send it out all the time because people procrastinate because they think it's overwhelming and scary to plan their estate. And in reality, I do an estate planning strategy session for free before I do somebody's estate plan. And um, I just talk to them and I just get to know them. Listen, what assets do you have and what are your goals? And it's a really nice, easy little conversation. Depending on the complexity of their asset holdings, it could take anywhere from 15 minutes to like an hour and a half. If if you're talking like I've got a bunch of companies and medical companies and a farming property and blah, blah, blah then maybe we're talking for an hour and a half at our initial consult. But most of the time it's like 15 minutes, half an hour. And I'm not going to bother you with stuff you don't need to worry about. If if a trust doesn't apply to your situation, we don't need to talk about it. I'm only going to have probably three or four recommendations specific to you at the end. And all you have to do is sit down and talk with me about in general, what you own and in general, what your goals are. And from that, we leave with, usually a pretty good strategy. Um, and then at that point we call the accountant and we say, Hey, can you check the strategy before we implement it? Or can we have a quick phone call to run it by you? Or we talk to the financial advisor and say, we're going to be rejigging some of the beneficiary designations and purchasing some life insurance. And so at that point, you know, you get the ball rolling. So really all you have to do to get it started is have a conversation with a lawyer that, and it doesn't have to be me, but somebody that specializes in estate planning, not somebody that just, you know, specializes in another area of law and is like, I could throw a will together for you if you want. Like the person needs to be willing to talk to you about all the different uh, stuff that's involved in estate plan Um, and just sit down with someone and, and they will guide the conversation. You can just sit there passively and with your Timmy's and just kind of answer the questions. Yep. That's cool. So um, if, if somebody wanted to reach out to you and and get started on something like this, what would be the best way to do that? So I have an office in Amherstburg and an office in Windsor, uh, but I do estate planning uh, and estate administration probates and advice for executors and stuff um, province wide. So best way to reach me is probably my um, phone, like my office phone number, 519-736-7999. And... Uh, or you can email me ashley at hhsllp.com and my assistant Jenna would set something up. And we do have like online booking and stuff like that, that you could take a look at the calendar and pick a time that works for you. And Jenna can send a link for that. Nice. So long story short, estate planning is broader than a will, includes a will, but no matter who you are, I think it's worth a conversation with a lawyer to see what your estate plan entails and make sure that you don't find out it needed to be a bit more complex a little bit too late. So Ashley, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. It was great to have you. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun. You're welcome. 
This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal, financial, or professional advice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of Sterling Mutuals, Inc. Mutual funds and ETFs provided through Sterling Mutuals, Inc. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fun facts before investing. Mutual funds are not guaranteed, their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated.